As people said, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Amen. I was, um, when Marcus was telling me that I was going to be a lot of fun, that's why I was going like this. I was like, man, don't promise that because I have no idea. We'll just find out. Um, my name is Evan. I want to introduce myself because I don't like being a stranger to people. Um, but yeah, I'm a biblical counselor at a place called Anchored Hope, um, and I was a youth pastor for 12 years. And yeah, I do like to have a lot of fun. I lived on many years of pizza and late nights. Right, Marcus? That's right. <laughs> That's why we signed up for it, really. It was just for the free pizza and just getting to hang out with people that are our maturity level. Anyway, um, so uh, I've been married to my wife, Nicole, for 10 years now. We've got two awesome feral boys. Um, they're downstairs. Hopefully, it won't be destroyed by the end of this. Um, and then we also have a foreign exchange student from Norway. Her name's Julie. Uh, she's 17. She's super awesome. And we're also, uh, hopefully, this summer, getting ready to go to Africa to go adopt um, a 10-year-old girl named Vanessa from Malawi. And so uh, I'm just, life is just really sweet right now. And I came and spoke, I think, in, in uh, the summer. And when I came home, I told, I told my wife that I truly... Uh, love Grace Hills. Like, I was walking around, and all I could think of is just thinking that this place is truly, kind of like what we're saying, is really like a little slice of heaven. And you can say awe to that, okay? Yeah, thank you. There you go. I need some participation so I don't feel lonely. Um, but truly, I, I just, I, I, love, I love Grace Hills, and I love your pastor. He pours his blood, sweat, and tears into this place, and it's evident. Um, and he has so graciously given me the opportunity to talk about parenting. Um, and so when I thought about parenting, I thought about um, the movie Rocky, <laughs> specifically Rocky IV, um, when Rocky goes to Russia and he fights Ivan Drago. Is any, is any of this just going over anybody's heads? Okay. Um, but but some, most of the men in here are probably like... Something in you just like awakened, right? Um, and so, right, there's the scene where Rocky steps up to Ivan, this huge towering blonde dude, and Rocky's this, you know, short guy, and the, the, the Russian looks at him, and he goes, I must break you. And I thought, that's what my boys must be thinking, right? That's what my boys must be thinking all the time, right, is that I must break you, um, and now I love my boys very much, and they're wonderful, and, I, and I'm excited to talk about the, the heavy topic of parenting. So I hope you don't, I said this last time, I hope you don't have any lunch plans, because for the next three hours, we're going to be, I'm just joking. I hope, though, we really can't, and I mean this, we, we couldn't, even if we did have three hours, there's no way we could talk about the whole of parenting and what it entails biblically. And so I'm going to try for the next 30 minutes to give you a 30,000-foot view or a flyby of some key things that I have found that I believe the Bible is clear about of what we need to be reminded of when it comes to parenting. Um, and so, and as, as a biblical counselor, I've, I've had the opportunity to sit across from several parents and study about parenting and and listen to many of the struggles that they face. And so I'm going to bring some of those into this morning's message as well. Because I know that parenting can be and is draining. <laughs> Whether you're a parent, a grandparent, a stepdad, a foster parent, an adoptive parent, whatever the case may be, maybe you work with teenagers, maybe you work with kids, it is 
hard sometimes. And the people know it's hard because there are countless, countless, countless resources about it, right? There are podcasts, TV shows, books, articles, seminars, even some college degrees and jobs are focused on the subject of parenting. So in the midst of all this information that sometimes even contradicts itself, right? In the midst of all that, where can we turn to? Now, this is the Sunday school answer that you get to say. Yeah, 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 there we go. The Bible, all right? Right? We get to turn to the Bible. But even that can be tricky. Even that can be difficult. The Bible doesn't explicitly talk about TikTok or curfews, right? The Bible doesn't explicitly say what to do when your three-year-old won't stop throwing tantrums. The Bible tells us what we should, that we should train a child in the way they should go and that they won't depart from it. So that obviously means we homeschool them. Right? I'm not sure. (laughs) The Bible says don't spare the rod. So does that mean we spank or give positive reinforcement? Then there's the onslaught of the newfound trend to dive deep into the mental health issues and how to help your children navigate anxiety, depression, OCD. So many of these things. It can be tricky. Or maybe you know that the Bible is clear about sex and race and politics and all those things, but you have no clue where to start or how to even have that conversation. Parenting is hard. What a fun topic. Thanks, Marcus. So before we begin, I do have to, I, this is just the counselor side of me coming out. Before we begin, um, for those of you who don't have kids in the home, please don't check out yet. Or maybe you are a kid and this is really awkward for you because you're sitting next to your parents <laughs> and you see them taking really heavy notes and they're just, all right. Um, but if, if you don't have a kid, don't check out. And for those of you, and I mean this, for those of you who are dealing with something difficult with your children, whether it's because of divorce, whether it's because you're having trouble having children, or even the loss of a child, can I please remind you, can I please remind you, that Christ sees you and intimately knows your pain. Very deeply, intimately knows your pain. We are so wonderfully blessed to have a great high priest who sympathizes with our suffering. And the reason I bring this up is because I've sat from too many moms, dads, spouses, grandparents, stepmoms, stepdads who experience so much of this kind of pain. And I know this message may be hard or bring up some difficult emotions for some of you. And my prayer is that this message would remind you of how the Lord shepherds us and fathers us. So let's pray. Father, would you please speak through me? Lord, because you are the ultimate example. Lord, as parents, we will mess up. We will fail But Lord, as we are going to learn today, we know that it is not by our own will, it's not by our own control, it's not by our formulas, or us against them, Jesus. It is all on you. So Lord, would you just be with us this morning, in your name, amen. All right, so I want to give you three points this morning um, that I hope are really clear and easy, and I'm going to give them right to you from the start, right? So the first one is the lie of formula and false failure. Um, Number two is the lie of control, and number three is the lie of me against them. So I want to look at three lies that we tend to think 
are good when it comes to parenting, or we tend to believe. Because in Ephesians chapter 6, which I would, I would encourage you to turn to, um, it says something very profound that I want to really camp on this morning. So let's read that together. <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 1. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Parents, that's your cue to nudge your kid. Okay, verse 2. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This is only four passages, or excuse me, four scriptures, but it, it, but it, it is so profound. Now, when we read scriptures like this, though, we have to read them. They're not just standalone passages, right? We have to read them in their context, and we have to understand what Paul is talking about even before that. And so in Ephesians 5, he transitions the book of Ephesians by saying something like this. He says, therefore, be imitators of God. So he spends the first chunk of Ephesians talking about what God has done for us and how wonderful God is. God is. And in chapter 5, he says, therefore, be imitators of Christ. And so that's the lens that you and I have to read this passage through, right? We have to be imitators of God as we help bring up our children. As we bring up our children. <clears throat> the beauty of God's grace and redemptive story is this, is that you will fail. <laughs> it's that we will fail. So have any of you, any kids or any parents in here, have you mastered being imitators of Christ yet? No. Thank you. There's, a, there, there's somebody in the, bed, in the back vehemently shaking his head no. No. See, I want to re redefine Christian failure because I think we have, maybe it's because we live in America, maybe it's because we have grown up thinking a certain way or we grew up in a certain family, but I want to redefine what we define success in parenting. See, it comes from, excuse me, with feel, we, we struggle with feelings of failure, whether it's because we're not doing enough or we feel like we'll never be enough for our kids. Let me remind you that one of the biggest battles we face is going to be in between our own two ears. Right? I've sat across from so many parents who have, said, who have thought things like, I'm just a horrible parent. My teen wouldn't be like this if I had just raised them better. If only my wife or my husband had just, would just put in more effort. I'm just terrified that my child will never grow closer to Christ. I'm worried that they'll never grow closer to me. Listen, those kinds of thoughts, those kinds of worries, those kinds of anxieties... They never, ever, ever come from Christ. None of it. And we need to be reminded that not being a perfect parent is normal. Right? It's completely normal. That you're not a failure of a parent because you've messed up. That's called being human. You have to grasp that. Because I think too many of us put such a high standard on our parenting. Unrealistic standards. God looks at you and he says, you are my beloved son and daughter in whom I'm well pleased. That's how he views you. That's how he views 
you. We can't judge success by, in parenting by if our child owns their faith or not. That's not what the Bible defines success. We base our success on what Christ did on the cross. The good news is your children don't need a perfect parent. They don't need one. You're not called to fit in a, into a role that only God can fill in the lives of your children. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Right? That is not you. Don't try to sit in a chair that was not made for you. That was not made for me. We can't do this. If all our children needed was a parent who had it all together or the right formula or the right tactics or a better kids discipleship program or better whatever, then Jesus would not have needed to come. He wouldn't have needed to come. So many of us, myself included, often struggle with feeling like we just won't measure up. We just won't measure up. Or we've just messed up too many times. Or we try and we try and we try and we try and we try. And our kid is still stealing cookies from the cookie jar. We lie our heads on our pillow, wondering and thinking, oh great, my kid's definitely going to need therapy now. Please hear me, because I want to free you from this burden. You are not God. We're not God. You have no ability, hear me, you have no ability to change your child. Isn't that helpful? You don't. You have zip, none. Zero. I have none. You have none. The only one who can change our children is the one we just sang about. That's it. He's the only one who can change our children and change us. The load we bear, the whole weight of parenting that we put on our shoulders, we, we often we grow exhausted by it because we think it's our job to do something that we have no possibility of doing. And we get up the next day, and we try again. Maybe if I just do this. Maybe if I raise my voice. Maybe if I use a scarier threat. Maybe if I, maybe if I take the phone away, right? Maybe if I stomp my feet, right? You don't want to know what I'm going to do if I have to come down that hallway one more time. It'll be on the news, Dad disciplines child, news and details at eight. You don't want to know. You don't want to know, right? But that's, we try anything. I've also said across some parents who have said, even we, Evan, we did all the right things. We did all the right things. We did so many things. We took them to the right school. We surrounded them with Christian friends. We listened to Adventures and Odyssey. We did all the things. We did all the things, but our kids despise us and despise the Lord. We're not meant to parent towards a certain outcome. Does that make sense? Right, like we are called, don't, don't hear me wrong, we are called to disciple our children but if, we're, but if we have this idea of some sort of outcome that they're going to hopefully turn out to be, 
we're not doing it right. And the reason I say that is because the Bible never says, do this in such a way so that they just get saved. No, he says, be imitators. Bring them up. Bring them up and, and discipline them. Right? It says, in the instruction of the Lord. Nowhere does Paul say, so that they get saved. He says, be imitators. Right? Because he knows, Paul knows, that we don't own our kids. Christ does. We don't own our kids. Please hear me, though. You are the main discipler of your children. That is your calling. It is not mine, right? It is not Marcus's. It's not the youth pastor's. It's not the teacher's. It's you. But we will fail at this, and that's a good thing because our failings help us come closer and depend more on the one person who can change our children. Does that make sense? It's huge. And this isn't just for moms and dads. Please, I hope if you're a grandparent, an uncle, an aunt, or a teacher, I hope you're hearing this. When you sit across from a little one and their sin is made plain in front of you, what a wonderful opportunity to remind yourself that you are just a shepherd. You are not the owner. In our failings, we learn to depend on Christ and point our children to Christ in our own mess. And one of the greatest acts of grace is also our children's failures. And that leads to number two, the lie of control. See, my son loves sugar, all right? And now, see, when, when my wife and I were younger and a lot more wiser, um, that's when you laugh. Uh, we, when, when, our, when our firstborn was born, we thought, okay, he will never have television. He will never, he will never eat sugar. He is going to eat raw radishes and play with felt boards. That is it. He's going to watch Mr. Rogers, maybe, all right? And, uh, and, and, and you know what my son craves now? TV and a bathtub bowl size of gummy bears. That's, that would be his heaven, all right? And so my son, he's... I love him to death, and he is a master. He was going through a season of thievery. I mean, he was like Mission Impossible, Tom Cruise-level thievery. And it was pretty impressive, to be honest. Um, and so one day, I, it was Christmas time. We had just got done making cookies. <coughs> Excuse me. I woke, I woke up with something this morning, so if I sound weird, my apologies. Um, but the, 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 we're, we're cleaning up the mess. And I couldn't find the sprinkles. And so I'm just like, what in the world? And I can't find Ezra. And two and two go together. And so I, I go down the hallway. I open the door. And friends, it was like a scene from Lord of the Rings. Remember when Bilbo or whoever like, sees Gollum for the first time? And he's just, and he's just he's, my son was like huddled in a corner. Just like, I mean, he just... Like, and, and, I, and, and there's like, sh like, you know, he's got half of the thing is just gone. It's all over him. It's all over the floor. And I was just like, oh, my gosh. Like, <laughs> I mean, it was, it, it, it was terrifying, really. And, um, but he, he just loves sugar. And it was, <laughs> it's quite funny. I, I try, there, there are moments in parenting where you just have to just kind of laugh a little bit. 
and then, and then move forward. Okay, but Ezra, my son, sins. We sin. Our children are going to sin. Now, it's easy for, as parents to tell, him, to tell him, right? It could have been easy for me to tell him, son, stealing is bad. Stealing is bad. And punish him for the thievery. But hear me. This is huge. We cannot reduce parenting to controlling our children's behavior. I'll say that again. We cannot reduce parenting to try to just to control our kids' behavior. That's not parenting. That's control. Now let me explain. Parents, you're dealing with something profoundly deeper than behavior. Hugely deeper. Vastly deeper. Many of you are burdened and hopeless because you're, you've tried every consequence, every structure you can create, and God's not, and it's not working. God loves that child, and he's placed them in a family of grace, and God will reveal the need of that child to you so that you can be a tool of his resurrecting and transforming grace. That's all parenting is. When you see your children's sin, weakness, and failure, it's always on purpose. It's never an accident. It's God's plan. It's so that you can then represent and imitate Christ in front of your kids. Parents, don't get mad that your kids need parenting. And I get it. It's so hard. I'm not up here saying this is going to be easy. It's so hard. We have to think deeper than controlling their behavior. This may surprise you, but parenting is actually a gift of grace. It's a work of grace. Now, some of you, when you hear that, when you hear just parent with grace, a lot of you, uh, not you, but a lot of people think that I mean just be, just be nice, be more permissive. That's not what I'm saying. Grace never calls wrong right. Grace is a way of dealing with the wrong. And so God makes his invisible grace visible by sending parents of grace to children who need grace. It's never an accident. It's never a hassle. It's never an interruption. It's always grace. It's always grace. Getting ready for school in the mornings with my children is like watching an action slow-mo. All of the sudden, all of the energy they had is just, I mean, they, where did, it's, like, it's like all of a sudden when it's time to get ready for school, all of the energy just drained out of their feet and, be, and they become this comatose corpse just trying to put on socks. Right? And, and, and we're, my wife and I are just like, we were supposed to drop you off five minutes ago, right? And so it, it, it's, I get it. It's hard. <laughs> it takes so long. It feels like it takes two hours just to do two minutes worth of something, right? Or the nights where you've spent however many hours trying to put them to bed and one wakes up at 10 p.m. crying because their sock fell off. My wife and I, we took, our, we took the family and, and our foreign exchange student, Julie, to Cancun. 
she had found some crazy cheap tickets from Frontier like six months ago, and we were like, let's go. Right before Thanksgiving, it's going to be great. This is going to be in our kids' element. They love planes. They love beaches. This is a no-brainer, no friends. Our trip to Cancun turned into an episode of Survivor. I wanted to do nothing but vote my kid off the island. I just, I just was like, and you are gone. Thank you. Have fun flying home. Thanks for playing. Right? I was just, we, I, we get it. It's so hard. And we reach moments where we're just done. But friends, our, God is allowing sin to be revealed to you through your children so that you can imitate him. It's never an accident. It's never a hassle. We get so frustrated. But hear me, and I'm, I'm telling this to myself. I have to tell this to myself every day. We don't get mad because our children have broken the laws of Christ. We get mad because they've broken the laws of our kingdom, my kingdom, what I want, what I desire, what I worship. And in my kingdom, there shall be no parenting after 10 o'clock. There shall be no parenting in Mexico, right? There, none. But that's what we do, right? Just get dressed. You got to go to school. Don't tell me two minutes before you, leave, you have to leave that there's a note to be signed. Just eat your eggs, if we're going to get deeper into what our kids actually need, we have to understand that our struggle is not with what our kids want. Our struggle as parents is the distance between God, what God wants for your day and what you want for your day. Do you hear me? Our struggle is what we often have tension with is that God has a plan for your day and it's usually a lot different than what we want. God's plan is for you to be exposed to all that stuff so that the glory of his divine love is revealed. Our desires affect our parenting. He has placed these dear lost ones in our homes because he loves them. And because he loves them so deeply, he's going to expose you to the depth of their lostness. You'll see it every day. <laughs> You'll see it every day. But don't get mad at grace. It's how love and God operate. And so, I, like, I, are there any first responders in the room? Sweet. Let's go. I love first responders because I have a whole family of first responders. Uh, my dad was a firefighter paramedic for 40 years. I have uncles and aunts who were in the police. I have police chiefs. I had um, uh, my mom worked on Life Flight. I, I, I love first responders. I just, that was just, I grew up hearing gross stories about things that happened <laughs> or crazy things that would happen. But that's, that's you guys. You, you are Christ's first responders. My dad, when he would run into a burning building or dangerous situations, he didn't run in there because he was mad. He ran in there to he because he had rescue on his heart. Right? First responders have rescue on their heart. They don't get mad at danger. They don't 
turn their back on danger. They run toward the danger or the hurt because their hearts are filled with compassion. That's what we're called to do. We step into those moments not irritated, not frustrated or mad, and knowing this won't be the last time. Parents come to me saying, I'm dealing with this 10 times a week, and I say, your kid, mu- or God must really love your kid. Because he wants you to see it. Right? It would be such a cruel, cruel thing for our Lord to say to our children, I'm going to have your parents close their eyes to your lostness. It's a big deal. And so when we step into those, please walk in with grace. And lastly, number three, the lie of me against them. So I want to close with how do we actually, how do we do this, right? How do we share this incredibly good news of Jesus with our children? How do we imitate them? How do we bring them up? And it's probably not what you expect. Um, I wish I could give you 10 practical keys to have a, right, a better kid by Friday. I think there's actually a book called that. Um, but what do we actually do? How do we lead them toward true intimacy with God? How do we love teenagers with the gospel? I love this passage in Second, <clears throat> excuse me, 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 7 through 8. The apostle gives this amazing example, Paul. He says, just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel, but our very lives as well. What a beautiful image of what we are called to do with children. Sharing the gospel is far more than just sharing information. It's way more. It's opening up our very lives. It's giving away our very souls. It's unveiling our longings, our fears, our joys. It's inviting our children into our mess and being willing to step into theirs. I heard a parent tell me once that I never apologize to my kid because I don't want them to think that I have any kind of weakness. And I thought, what? Have you heard of our Savior? It, it terrified me for this parent. It's okay to be weak in front of your kids because it shows your kids that you need Jesus. It's huge. Paul paints a picture of what the gospel does to the heart. He describes the tenderness of a nursing mother with her child. And the gospel leads our hearts into a deep place of holy intimacy where our response is to light, is to delight in giving away our lives to our kids. And so I've often wondered, why is that so hard? Why is that the thing that just, it, it, it's against the grain? Could it be that the rebellion of our kids draw us to more deeply depend on God? And that's not natural to us. Our hearts don't naturally want to depend on God. Our hearts are broken, so we worship anything besides God, even good things. Right? The heart is like the directional steering wheel system of why we do what we do. 
It's like the throne room. There's either Jesus is there or something else. And whatever is there, then we respond in different ways when pressure is put on us. What controls our hearts controls our behavior. This means that every behavior problem that your kids have is a heart problem. Every single one. Every bad attitude, every poor choice is an opportunity to get at the heart of your child. And now this may be the most important thing I say. So if you just tuned out to everything I said, at least hear this. The only way we're going to do this, the only way we're going to get at the heart of what our kids are struggling with is if we are willing to humbly confess in those tough parenting moments when sin is being revealed, the wise father is working on everybody in the room. Did you catch that? When your children's sin is being revealed, when their hearts are being exposed, God's working on everybody in the room. Not just, not just the kid, but yours as well. Yours as well. Right? Think about it. it we think it's us against them so often. We, we would never say that maybe, but it comes out in the way we respond to our kids. In those moments when you are struggling because it's happened again, God is working on your heart too. And so what you say is, in those moments, I'm willing to confess that I'm more like my child than unlike my child. I'm more like them because I want my own way. I want to be sovereign. I want life to work according to my will. I want the right to be angry. I want to say mean things and get away with it. If you begin to separate yourself from the spiritual drama of your child, you will not be able to meet them in that moment. You won't. Because nobody gives grace better than somebody who knows they need it desperately. That's parenting. God is still often, every day, getting at my heart. And he's getting at yours too. What does my heart want to do? I want my sons to love Christ. That's what I want. I want them to love the Lord. So I grow anxious and I, and I worry and I think about their futures and I think about the, the travesty of sin and how it mars people's lives forever. And I don't want that for my kids. And that's okay. But I'm not in control. It's not me against them. It's not going to be in some formula. It's only going to be because of Christ who changes them. That's it. And I'm not, call, I'm not called to parent my boys towards some sort of outcome. I'm called to make the gospel attractive in, a way, in the way that I live my life and imitate Christ in front of them. I live in such a way so that when they look at me, they don't see their dad, they see a heavenly father, and they go, man, I want what my dad has. I know my dad's not perfect. I know my dad messes up. I know my dad sins, but he has something that I want. 
that's my job. I'm not responsible for the choices my sons make. It's not biblical. How they respond is between them and their maker. Against you and you alone, Lord, have I sinned, right? So I open up my heart to them and show them what a mess it is. And the only way that I can be rescued is from a redeemer. And so I go and I share my identity with my kids. And that's what, but I can't do that on my own. I, I, we, need, we need God's strength. We need his will. We need his peace and rest every day because we can't do it on our own. We don't have the strength or the power to do that. We need a savior to help us. God is drawing us to himself. He's saying parenting is way bigger than you and your giftedness and your cool factor. If you want to do this, you're going to need me. And that's the hope we have. Right? When he sent the disciples off, when he's getting ready to leave, he says, I will be with you always. That's for us too. So if you want to recalibrate your parenting, you need to relinquish it to Christ. It's not all on us. It's not in our formulas or control. It's not in our own power or willingness. It's all on him. Let's pray. God, thank you. God, thank you for who you are. Lord, you are not just shepherding our kids. You're shepherding us. You are constantly working on us until the day we die. There will never be a moment, Jesus, where you do not stop molding us and forming us into your image. And so, Lord, we need you to look like you. We need you in order to be like you. So, Jesus, would you do that? Would you help us to trust in you? Just as it says in Jeremiah 17, that we would trust in the Lord and that we would be like a tree planted by rivers of water, that even when drought comes, we won't grow, we won't grow anxious. Father, that we would be that kind of tree that provides fruit and shade for our kids, not because of anything we've done, but because we have a Redeemer. So would you help us, Jesus? We need you. There is never a moment in our lives or in our parenting where we won't need you. God, thank you for the hope that we have in your son. God, thank you for the hope we have in your son. Because now we know it's not all on us, but all on you. May we pray. Amen. You are here.